Welcome to Grace, everybody. All those you here in the room and those watching online, we're uh, thrilled that you're with us today. Today's the grand finale of racial reconciliation. Who's happy that this is over? I am, for one. I tell you what. Uh, uh, I have a newfound appreciation and respect for those who are on the front lines and who have been historically on the front lines of... Uh, of this battle, you know, for years. Um, I, I, throughout this series, I've done a tremendous amount of reading leading up to what we're in the middle of. And I know I spent a couple of weeks reading through Brian Stevenson's book, Just Mercy. And I can remember uh, those weeks that I was in it. I was just irritated, you know, because I was just reading story after story of injustice. And I'm thinking, you know, I feel so worn out and so tired from all this, and I've done nothing but read and talk about it. What if you were actually on the front lines of it? It would be very, very difficult. So I just have a great appreciation for people who have had the persistence and the patience to stick with it on something that is so difficult as a topic of injustice. Anyway, so there you go. Uh, I've, uh, I've, I've read a bunch of books. I want to highlight just a couple that I've, uh, that I've read. They're not on the list. I just want to mention to you. I mentioned a few weeks ago, Tony Evans' book, Oneness Embraced. I highly encourage everybody, you want to keep thinking about this issue, keep thinking about this issue from a church perspective. That's a fantastic book to read, Tony Evans' book, Oneness Embraced. I mentioned Brian Stevenson's book, uh, Just Mercy. Fantastic book to read. New York Times bestseller. Everybody should read that. I won't, I won't recommend uh, this book, uh, but I'll tell you that I read it. Trevor Noah's book, Born a Crime. I won't recommend it because if you read it, you'll say, well, Pastor John, what do you mean? a lot of language in that book. What are you doing? So the deal is Pastor John grew up in South Arlington on the basketball courts, and Pastor John's heard a lot of language, so it doesn't really get me. But you might be mad at me if you, like, what are you doing? Okay, so uh, a hilarious book, laugh out loud book, but uh, a lot of language in that book, um, a lot of funny things in it. Actually, the title comes because uh, Trevor Noah, when he was born, it was a crime for him to be born. His father was white and his mother was black. And he could not walk on a sidewalk with uh, his mom and dad because they would be arrested and he would go into some type of foster care or custody of some sort because, uh, you know, that's who he was. And uh, so it's a, it's a very interesting book, a take on what happened in, in South Africa. All right. Well, here we go. Uh, Brian said it just a moment ago. The series is over, but it's not really, really over uh, because we are going to do a number of things, and one of those being Daryl Davis is going to come. We're going to sponsor this lecture, and uh, you'll want to come to that. It's going to be really good. It's going to be right here, and it's going to be a fascinating, a fascinating time. Today's message is entitled The Super Bowl. Super Bowl. I couldn't think of a better, you know. It was the obvious title, right? The Super Bowl. What else? I was thinking, what am I going to call this last message? Let's call it the Super Bowl. So uh, what are you more excited about tonight? The, the game, the commercial, or the food? Commercial. commercial, food. If you're excited about the food, our youth group, we're sending uh, 38 of our teens to do missions work both here locally and internationally in Brazil and Guatemala and then right here and uh, right off the capital through Little Lights Ministry. We're going to those three different areas. And if you uh, get some of that salsa today, it will go to support their missions effort. So you'll have a great time watching the commercials, watching the game, eating the food, and, it just, and doing missions work all at once. Does it get any better than that? All from your lazy boy chair. Does it get any better than that? Who are you picking? Anybody picking the Patriots? 
Falcons. Yeah. You all like the underdogs, don't you? Huh? That's good. Okay, tonight uh, when, the, when the game starts, you'll see these two teams, right? They'll come on the field of battle. But I'd like you to recognize the fact that there's a third team that's going to take the field, right? It's a third team that have been put on that field, and, and, and they're in the midst of this fierce battle that's going on, and they're in at the battle, and sometimes they'll get hit and knocked over and blood. And have a, they'll be in the battle, but they're not of the battle. Like in the middle of these two teams that are trying to go in two opposite directions, fighting it out, and they're in it, but they're not of it. And they have to put all their, like if they were a Patriots fan or a, a Falcons fan, they have to put all that aside, put all their personal preferences aside in order to do the role that they've been put there to do. They have to put all this aside. Like if the fans in the stands don't like what they're doing and boo them, they have to ignore that. If their family members are a certain fan, they have to ignore all that too. They put all, and whenever they see an injustice, doesn't matter which side does the injustice, right? They follow Martin Luther King's great statement, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. They have to blow the whistle and they have to call it because they're not there for their personal preference. They've been put there by a power up on high in Park Avenue. The commissioner has placed them there to represent him and to serve him. They're there to serve him, not either one of the teams. They follow a rule book. And the rule book explains exactly how they are to conduct themselves on the field of battle. And if it wasn't for the third team that was on the field, total chaos would break out. Like we wouldn't be able to have a game. Total chaos. We're counting on the third team, aren't we? We're counting on the third team when the third team is not what the third team is supposed to be. The game is not going to be what it should be. The third team. Who is that third team? Yeah, who wants to be on that third team? I want to read to you Ephesians chapter 2, some wonderful verses here. We've been studying this book, and we're going to finish today with this. It's the racial reconciliation letter of the entire Bible, and this is what it says. For he himself is our peace. I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to explain a few things as we go through it. It's, it's, it's this Hebrew concept of shalom. Anybody ever heard the word shalom before? You know what the deeper meaning of the word shalom is? Complete reconciliation. For he himself is our complete reconciliation who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. You got to stop right there and say, well, wait a minute. How in the world did you do that? How did you destroy the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility? How did you do that, Jesus? And then it tells you, verse number 15, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. That's a, that's a problem. Let me see if I can't visualize that for you. What it says is how he destroyed it is he took the law. This is the law. This is the commands, the thou shalt nots. He took this and he set it aside. Took the Bible and he said, that's what the verse is saying. Took the Bible, the commands, the laws, the regulations. He set it aside. It's an interesting way to bring peace. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and he preached complete reconciliation to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. Who, who are those people? Who are the faraway people? Who are the near people? The faraway people are the people who either don't know or don't care about the laws and the commands in the Bible. 
And the people who are near are the people who hold it near and dear to their heart. He brought the two of them together. Through him, we have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Wait a minute. This is where it gets really confusing. I want to try to explain this so that you can be as confused as me, okay? Who would like to be as confused as me? We just said that the way we got peace was to set this aside, and then we just said the way that we built it was to make this the very foundation. Now, which one is it? Because it can't be both. The way to bring peace and to bring down the dividing wall is to set this aside, the Bible, with all of its thou shalt nots. And the way in order to build the house up is to make sure that this is the very foundation. This is what he's saying. Now, I don't know if you're confused, but I'm really confused about that. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens of God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as himself the chief cornerstone. You know what a cornerstone is? It means everything about the building is oriented to the cornerstone. So what it's saying is, is everything about the third team on the field, everything about it is oriented, molded, shaped by Jesus Christ. Then it says this, in him the whole building is joined together. In other words, God is a builder. He's building. We see that in, in, in the book of Genesis. He's a builder. And what's interesting is if you ever go to a construction site, you ever, there's one near our office. And for months, it was just a big, muddy hole in the ground. Just it was a mess. And the mud was everywhere. It rained. There was mud all over the street. It was terrible. And forever, it was a hole in the ground. It was like months and months. I'm thinking to myself, what are they doing down in the hole for so long? And after about nine months, all of a sudden, something started coming out of the ground. But it's a mess. You know what construct is a mess. And so when you read in Genesis, it says there was chaos. When God created it, it was chaos. And then God started to bring some order out of the chaos, out of the mess. But construction zones, everybody, they're always messy. Before there's construction, there's a lot of times what? Destruction. Destruction. I had somebody say to me one time, I was just a young pastor, and he said, look, if you want nice and neat, go to a cemetery. You want to be a pastor? Be prepared for the mess. He said, sometimes in churches we try to make things nice and neat. He said, that's not ministry. Ministry is an absolute mess because it's a construction zone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we've reached the end of this series in racial reconciliation. And uh, Lord, we, we end by talking about the importance of you, Jesus Christ, being our cornerstone, that reconciliation happens in the world because we view things through your eyes and we're about your business and we answer first and foremost to you. Help us to gain understanding of a very difficult passage in Christ's name. Amen. So I went through and I counted up the times in this six-chapter letter of the book of Ephesians, how many times it says in Christ or in him, referring to Christ, in, in, 25 times. 
25 times in six chapters in. What does it mean to be in Christ? It means everything you view, you view through the lens of Christ. You've seen it the way Christ is. It says we're, he's our cornerstone. It means we're oriented. We're molded and shaped. It means we're part of a third team. That we're really in Christ, then we're a part of a third team. We're in the battle. We're not of the battle. And we're taking, we're taking our cues from him. We're there because of he is the priority. And that our family... And our friends and the fans in the stands will boo us and we'll get it from all sides. Sometimes they'll love you and sometimes they'll hate you. But you'll view it through the lens of Christ because you're in Christ. 25 times as your identity is now in Christ. So in other words, for me, I'm not a white Christian. I'm a Christian first who happens to be white. You, your identity is not from your skin color or your family or your country, or your political party. First and foremost, to be in Christ would mean everything is oriented through Christ first and foremost, right? Your identity's been broken. I've talked to a lot of guys in the military over the years, and I've said, talk to me about boot camp. What happens in boot camp? And they say, they break you. (laughs) They break you down, and they build you back up, and they give you a new identity. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have a new identity, and that identity is in him, and everything is oriented through Jesus Christ first and foremost, and it's very transformational. Dr. Martin Luther King said this about Jesus Christ. He said, by opening our lives to God in Christ, we become new creatures. This experience, which Jesus spoke of as the new birth, is essential if we are to be transformed nonconformist. Only through an inner spiritual transformation do we gain the strength to fight vigorously the evils of this world and a humble and loving spirit. What is this transformation that happens? Often I hear people say, hey, you know, tell me about your life. And they'll start talking about religion. They'll start about coming to church. And they say, well, I just, you know, I've always been in church. There was never any kind of moment for me. It's just always been assumed And I understand that completely. But something that's lacking there is feeling the power of a transformation that rocks what Dr. King is saying, the inside of your life, and is revolutionary to you. The gospel is a revolution. It's not natural. It's completely unnatural. What natural is, is to go and cheer for one or the other team. What is unnatural is to be the third team in the middle seeing the injustices on all sides of it and being oriented through Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, verse number 14, very important verse in the Bible says this. We have seen his glory. Who? Jesus. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. There's the revelation. There's the gospel right there. I'm going to try to explain that through the rest of this message today. That's all I'm going to try to do. We are oriented through Jesus Christ. First, I need to talk about glory. What in the world is glory? Glory is what you look like. Glory is like a mirror, right? It shows you who you are. So you get up in the morning, look in the mirror, and you say, oh, glory, right? Some of us say other words, but okay. There it is. It's what you look like. It is a mirror. 
It's a mirror. So when Moses says, right, back in the book of Exodus, is God, show me your glory. He's saying, God, I want to see what you look like. Show me what you look like. And here's the cool thing about glory. When we see what God looks like, when people like get in the glory, the Bible talks about this concept of Shekinah glory, the manifest glory, presence of God. When people experience that, people who are bitter and angry and violent and frustrated, they just change. It's the cool thing about glory. We look through the past at times where there needed to be massive reconciliation done, where injustice, God's glory led by the church, people change. You read through the Bible, people are incredibly changed as they experience the glory of God. People who are selfish, racist, stubborn, all of that in the Bible, they're changed in the glory of God. People who are frustrated, people who are like, I feel like I'm just so dry spiritually. They experience the glory of God and all of a sudden they come alive. It's like somebody has poured water on a dry land. There's healing and there's hope. Individuals and communities are affected when people experience the glory. What does the glory look like? What does God look like? God looks like grace and truth. So let's talk about grace and truth. People tend to lean either towards grace or truth but never to grace and truth. That's a whole nother ball game. And it is the revolution of the gospel and the story of Jesus Christ. He is full of both. Churches, churches lean grace and churches lean truth. But what does Jesus look like? He looks like grace and, he looks like full on, full on grace and truth. I want to try to explain this again, all right? I think you'll pick up on this. What are the characteristics of somebody who's full of grace? What do they look like? They're people-oriented. They're concerned about people, and they're concerned about social conditions. They're concerned about social justice issues. Social justice issues are very, very important to them. The problem often is the system. The system needs to be improved in order to lift people up. That's what gracers are interested, people full of grace. The system needs to be changed. They tend not to, to overly emphasize moral or sexual issues because they can be prudish and they can be repressive to people. It's about people, not moral commands. They're into free expression and acceptance. When they read the Bible, they quickly recognize the passages that talk about social justice issues. They see the love and acceptance of God. Their eyes are drawn to that. That's what stirs their souls. They see all the social injustice, and they want to do something about it. When they think about love, they think they want to place very few boundaries in their opinion. They want to place very few boundaries because that is oppressive to people. They want to allow people free expression, maximum self-expression. Um, one of the things that they'll talk about is you do you. In other words, it's a, it's a, it's a current statement, but that's kind of right. It's a, it's a grace or anything. You do you. They have their a set of sins that they like to point out to. They have their set, all right? That's full of grace. And let's do full of truth. They're command-oriented. They're about the commands. They read through this, all the commands and the thou shalt nots really stand out to the truthies. Commands, know them and obey them, period, or it's gonna get rough, okay? A gracer a gracer will uh, say, somebody who says to them, hey, you know, uh, I, I broke one of the commands. And a gracer will respond to them, it's okay, God doesn't care. A truther will say, 
have you listened to ACDC song recently about the highway to hell? Because that's what you're on. <laughs> when they read the Bible, they see all the thou shalt nots. The problem isn't the system. The problem is people. And people need to take personal responsibility. You are where you are because of who you are. It's not a system problem. It's a people problem. They're very traditional in their values, morally and sexually, and they value hard work. The charges to the people full of truth, the charges about social injustice and racism are way overblown. And they have their own set of sins that they like to point out, just like those who are full of grace. Each side thinks the other is self-righteous and smug. Does any of this sound familiar? It's all over the Bible. Now, here's the question. How committed are you to, to reconciliation? How committed are you? Reconcil- I, I played uh, for our college basketball team, and what they did is they, they would ask us to be the referees for the intramural games. And so I refed an intramural. They gave me the, the striped shirt, and they gave me the whistle, and they put me out there, and they said, you know the rules, right? Go to town, buddy. And you know what I found out? I hated being a referee. I hate it. It was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. It's a difficult thing to be a referee. It's a difficult thing to be on the third team. So I want to ask you, how committed are you to reconciliation? Are you really committed to it? Because it's tough. The easier way to go is to play for one team or the other team. It's just easy. This third team is really, really difficult to play for. The answer to reconciliation, according to the Bible, is to be full of grace and to be full of truth. And there is a tension in between the two that is powerful. The great reformers, the great reformers throughout history and in the Bible, leaned into both simultaneously. They were all grace and all truth all the time. And that is difficult to do. I want to read you another quote by Dr. King. This is what he says. Like the early Christians... We must move into a sometimes hostile world armed with the revolutionary gospel of Jesus Christ. With this powerful gospel, we shall boldly challenge the status quo. What is the status quo? The status quo is just grace. The status quo is just truth. That's the status quo. And the revolution is all grace, all truth, all the time. Who can do that? It's setting, a, setting aside the commands of the Bible and standing on the commands of the Bible all at the same time. How do you bring those two together? Oh, um, I'm getting ready to say some stuff, okay? And I hope that you'll just, uh, you'll, you'll bear with me. We're in a world that needs the church to be the church. Oh, I've mentioned Tony Evans' book a number of times. And the one thing that this pastor says, he says, you know, when God looks at the world and sees a problem in the world, he doesn't check with the White House, he checks with the church house. All throughout Scripture, this is what God does. The church is the leader. And God says, how does the land get healed? He goes to his people. He doesn't go to the government. He goes to his people and says, what are my people going to do? So I'm in my uh, community group the other night, and uh, one of the guys says, hey, you know, John, I've noticed something. I need you to explain it. I noticed that some churches have a certain set of issues and, like, sins that they really focus on, 
and then other churches have another like set of issues or sins that they talk about, and sometimes they're political, but the, 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 the lists aren't the same. And I said, yeah, that's grace and truth. We, we, churches and people lean grace or they lean truth. He says, well, why don't, why don't they do both? What's wrong with that? And I said, because nobody would show up. Nobody would show up. You think about Jesus Christ. All of his disciples left him on the cross, didn't they? He was there alone. Uh, you think about the book of Acts and the persecution that the early Christians experienced. It's a difficult thing to be oriented to Christ. William Wilberforce was threatened by all sides. Dr. King had a famous quote. He said, it's not the words of your enemies that you remember, but the silence of your friends. Because all the great reformers leaned hard into both grace and truth, and they were disliked by people on the field with them, their family members, the people in the stands, everybody was yelling and screaming because they saw the injustice everywhere. Uh, I went to a Bible college that was totally truth, right? You don't follow this, you're going to hell, period. End of story. What else is there to talk about? Nothing. I went to a seminary that leaned a completely different way. My first day in seminary class, a professor said that the Bible, particularly the book of Leviticus, says that homosexuality is a sin. They said, get rid of the book of Leviticus. Who needs that? That's ridiculous. That's repressive. Take the book of Leviticus out of your Bibles. We don't need that. It's people-oriented. I'll never forget the professor said, said uh, look, Leviticus also says that if you have mold in your bathroom, that you need to tear your bathroom down. So I will say homosexuality is a sin when all of you go home and tear your bathrooms down. Now, I'll see you tomorrow. I had another professor who said the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And they said, that is ridiculous. Don't you ever, ever breathe those words in this classroom that's repressive to who? People. People. Don't you ever talk about in this classroom. There are many ways that lead. So what am I saying? I'm saying that I was in a seminary that by and large had a very, very low view of the Bible and was very people-oriented. It was very grace-oriented. Right? And that's a beautiful thing, being grace-oriented. That's what the Bible says, very grace-oriented. Uh, back a number of years ago, about 150 years ago, there was a, a minister, Baptist minister, named Walter Rauschenbusch. He ministered in uh, New York City, Hell's Kitchen. And he had a very low view of the Bible. That's not really God's Word. It's just kind of like good ideas. And he said, Jesus is definitely not God. He's just a good example. And what really we need to do is we need to go out and we need to help people. We need to serve people. And everything that we can possibly do to help people, this is what we need to do. And so he did. But Jesus isn't God and there's no commands of the Bible. It's just about being a good person. And he started something called the social gospel movement. Now the problem is, is it wasn't transformational. It, was, it didn't achieve what the great reformers achieved because the great reformers of the Bible, like Wilberforce and Dr. King and the early church in the book of Acts and, of course, Jesus Christ, were simultaneously full of grace and full of truth all at one time. Matter of fact, William Wilberforce memorized the entire 119th Psalm. It's the longest chapter in the entire Bible. And you know what it's all about? 
It's all about one thing. It's all about the power of the Word of God. He memorized it, and almost every day as he would walk home, he would recite it. He actually had it time from the time he would leave his office to the time he walked in his door. He could perfectly get it all completely done, right? That's the Reformers. They were full of grace and truth. Back in the late 60s, everybody, and uh, early 70s, something happened in this country. It's called the Jesus People Movement. It became so popular, it was on the cover of Time magazine, the psychedelic Jesus. It was the hippie movement Jesus. It was fascinating. You heard about people's lives. Like people were experiencing the presence of God being touched by his glory. And people's lives were being changed. People were being healed and saved and reconciliation was happening all over the place. It was, it, was, it was incredible to hear the stories about what happened during the late 60s and 70s. College campuses, right? In the 60s and 70s. I know none of you were born in the 60s and 70s, so I want to tell you about it, right? In the 60s and 70s, college campuses across America were erupting. I mean, nothing like that happens today. And they were erupting, erupting with violence. People were angry and people were frustrated. And this thing happened on college campuses. Like it swept, not all, but some. And like it was the peace and love of Christ and it got down on people's hearts and people just started changing. Whoa, it was powerful. Slept all the way across this nation. I'd like to tell you where it started, if I can. It started in San Francisco. I mean, San, they actually... They actually studied this historically. They said, let's figure out where's the genesis of this whole thing. Where did, where did it begin? It started in San Francisco. It started with a bunch of hippies. A bunch of hippies tripping on LSD. Yeah. So these hippies uh, went to, uh, a, you know, they're tripping on LSD. And it actually started with one young lady who would get high and, and go to this Baptist church. And the pastor of this Baptist church had been classmates with Billy Graham, of all things. Very traditional, truthy church, okay? And here she walks in high on LSD. And now she starts getting all of her hippie friends who are into sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Hey, let's go, you know, let's get high and go talk about Jesus. Well, they showed up at this church, and, uh, you know, the truthies in the church said, okay, the people who are into the word, right? They said, all right, there's no problem that they're here, but let's just keep them in a corner somewhere, or let's tell them this, either change or leave, one or the other, you know. It's okay for one week and it may be two weeks, but, you know, if you're going to press this thing for three and four weeks, they keep coming back. Either they need to transform their life and change or they need to leave. And the pastor is like, he didn't know. He's like, oh, my gosh. He was all about the truth, but something was kicking in inside of him. And he didn't do it. He didn't do it. He didn't tell them to leave. And they wanted to participate in Bible studies. And they wanted to get up in front of the church and talk. And that was really awkward. Particularly when they used foul language. When they spoke in front of the church to give, they didn't know it was called a testimony, but they were given testimonies about what God was doing in their lives. And they would hold major LSD parties where they all trip on acid and they would talk about Jesus. It's insane. You read about it. You can read about it. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. And you know what that church did where all this started? Half the church left. They say, we're out. This is ridiculous. We respect God's word. And because of that, we're out, we're gone. But that pastor didn't do it for some reason, though he was bewildered by what was happening. And a fire broke out in that church. Not a natural one, a spiritual one. And it kicked off 
the last great spiritual awakening that has happened in the United States of America in the 60s and 70s. Some of you are actually here today because of what happened, because churches all across America were renewed, and it's like a wildfire. That spread all the way down the coast to Los Angeles and to a pastor by the name of Chuck Smith. And some guys in the community who were a bunch of potheads who had a band, they went to Chuck Smith and they said, hey, dude, you know, we, we got this band and uh, we like to play this music and we want you to hear this music, you know, and they're just all fried up and he's like, okay. So he brings them in and they're like, hey, look, we're going to do this music for you, okay, but uh, it's not going to be as good because our buddy who's a major member of the band, he's in jail right now. Right, he's in for this pot charge, but he's going to get out in a few weeks and we'll have the whole band here, but we still want to play for you. And so we want to play some worship songs for you, right? They're all high on pot. We're going to pray, play some worship songs for you, okay? So they play for this truthy pastor. And God touches his heart. And he says, this is, this is beautiful. Isn't that insane? Is that insane? This truthy pastor and he's up there and they're playing and they're all smoking dope, singing to Jesus. Many of you have never heard of the name of Maranatha music. Many of you never. Some of you heard of something called Hillsong. Maranatha music was the Hillsong of the 70s and 80s. It set off a revolution in worship music and it started right there with those potheads. So I want to ask you, what are we going to do about this? We can run one way and we can run the other. But there's no glory in it. The only way to get to glory is to somehow struggle between being full of grace and full of truth all the time. And it is bewildering. As you read through the Bible, you find that Peter, who is the leader of all of Jesus' disciples, who spends three years right there on Jesus' right arm, that he can't even contain it. He can't understand it. It slips through his hands. And in the book of Galatians, he runs away from it. He runs away from the grace and he goes all truth. And the apostle Paul comes along and says, hey, buddy, don't mess with God. He doesn't say you're wrong, you're being a racist. He says stop messing with the gospel of Jesus Christ we think about the need for people to change and transform, it's just what truthies kind of lean into. Hey, let's get a quick change here. We need to remember that the Apostle Paul spent three years in the middle of the desert, three years God transforming that man from being a racist to being the greatest social reformer outside of Jesus Christ that is in all of Scripture. is powerful. The, 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 the gospel, everybody, is difficult to get your fingers around, but it's exactly what we have to do. I have in my prayer journal every single day, I say, God, I have, I have no understanding of what the gospel is. I pray this every day. I have no understanding of what it is. I need you to explain it to me afresh and new because unless we have full grace and full truth all the time, we'll never get to the glory. And the church is meant to be filled with the glory of the Lord and to make a difference in the world. We're not on one team or the other. We're on his team. We're oriented by him. We see everything through him. We take heat from all sides. But it's only when we do that that the glory of God falls. It doesn't fall any other way. It doesn't fall on an all-grace church. It doesn't fall on an all-truth church. It falls on a gospel church. That's John 1.14. That's where the glory falls. Are we willing to do that? 
It's bewildering. Martin Luther used to say this. He said, you know, when somebody is faced with the gospel, it's like a cow staring at a new gate. (laughs) What is that? Have you felt that bewilderment? Have you felt the confusion? If you feel it, you're starting to get it. If you feel bewildered and confused, you're starting to get it. You're in great company. You're in the company of the leader of all the disciples, Peter, who struggle with it, and Paul. You're in great company. If the gospel is very simple to you and easy, I'm afraid you might not be there. You have to be like a cow staring at a brand new gate. It doesn't make a bit of sense. But you go to God and say, God, here's where the glory comes from. I want to understand your grace and your truth altogether. Well, I want to end by this beautiful tapestry behind me. And Naomi's going to come and help me with, uh, with some music. We, uh, we began by first three weeks. We had crosses all over the room. And we just said, you know, whatever you need to put at the foot of the cross to write it on these cloths, and then we transform it. And what we transform this into, what we have constructed, is something completely new and completely different. And there's a lot of things on there. There are people on this tapestry that are full of grace and there are people on this tapestry that are full of truth and there are people who are broken and there are people who are bitter and there are people who have done wrong things and there are people who have had wrong things done. everything the whole world is on this it's an absolute beautiful mess I want to read you some excerpts that are, that are on this please help my pain regarding racial reconciliation another person wrote where to start there's just so much sin Another person just said, I'm indifferent. Another person said, white people are the ones who are evil and pushing colored people down. Another one said, Lord, I'm afraid to change. Another one, white privilege, no more. I'm guilty of stereotyping and not stopping when I witness injustice. I'm praying to change. Forgive me for thinking that I have no part in the problem of injustice. For a family member who was in the KKK. I repent that I believe the heresy that black people were the result of sin. I'm tired of being called a racist because I'm a white man. I need Jesus' help so I can get past myself and put others first. That's just a sample of some of the things that are on this. It's a big mess. And it's all at the foot of the cross of Christ. And only God can bring people who are hurting and frustrated and people who are full of grace and people who are full of truth and hanging on that cross. Unite us all together in the great mystery that we call the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we can be all grace and all truth all the time, filled with His glory in making the difference in the world that God calls us to make. God is checking with the church and saying, Church, I need you to be a part of the healing in the land, but you got to be filled with glory, and there's only one way to get it. Grace and truth all the time. I'd like to pray as I end and ask for all of us the same thing that I ask for myself every single day that God would help us to understand the power and the revolution of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our hearts. Would you pray with me? 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It's a challenge. It's a struggle. And many times it's a mystery. There's one moment we get it and the next moment it's gone. We thank you that you have shown us what you look like. You are full of grace and truth. No matter which way we lean today, God, we need to lean into you and trust in you. Our world needs your help. Help this church to be oriented to you, Jesus Christ, to see the world through you, to be in you, that your glory would come down in this community, that it would be a blessing to the world around us that rages with frustration and a desire for hope. Lord, help each one of us to understand this beautiful gospel that you bring to us, full of grace and truth. Let's just take 15 seconds of silence. It's our own, just to maybe allow God to speak to our own hearts. Lord, thank you for the hope that you bring us. We place our trust in you. Be with us every day. Fill us with your spirit that we might represent you well. In your holy name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.